today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. When the church is raptured out of here, taken to the Lord, that that particular work of the Holy Spirit will be completed. He'll still have a job to do. He will still be working and ministering on the earth, but in a totally different way, in a different manner than what he's ministering even now. And at that point in time, that's when, again, because of that change, that son of perdition will be revealed in that time. It's that time when he who now restrains the Holy Spirit and the church is taken out of the way. Today, Pastor David discusses the coming of the Antichrist. Currently, the Antichrist is being restrained by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself, as well as the Holy Spirit inside all believers. When the second coming occurs and Jesus raptures his followers, the Antichrist will be freed. The world will fall into complete chaos and destruction. It's not always a pleasant thing to pause and think about. But do you have a heart for non-believers? Be bold for the gospel, lest no one be left behind. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message from the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Reveal and Unrestrained. This morning, we're going to kind of step back a little bit, kind of get a running start, kind of bring everybody up to speed to where we were. We, as again, we didn't get far, so it should, it, we're not going to take a great amount of time. But the first issue that we see that Paul is dealing with here, beginning in the second chapter, is what uh, not only Paul calls, but uh, a, a lot of the Old Testament prophets referred to the day of the Lord, or as Paul puts here, the day of Christ. And I shared with you that that particular day or that season, that era, that epoch, uh, again, it's called by many things. They, they refer to it again uh, as that day, but it's more than just a day. It's, it's a time frame. It's not a 24-hour day. Bible scholars look back at this and understand that that day, the day of the Lord, is again that time frame of what we call the severe or the great tribulation, the seven-year period of the tribulation, or at least the last three and a half years of it when the tribulation gets even worse. Several weeks ago, we looked at the prophet Zephaniah, and a few weeks ago, I reminded you again that even Zephaniah in the Old Testament speaks about that day. He says that it is the great day of the Lord. It's a time when mighty men shall cry out, a day of wrath, 
a day of trouble, a day of distress, a day of devastation, a day of desolation, a day of darkness, a day of gloominess, a day of clouds, a day of thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. Zephaniah says that it's a time of distress upon men. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuse. It will be known as the day of the Lord's wrath. Now, throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, we hear of this day. And as I shared, it's called by a multitude of names. That day, the day of Jacob's trouble, the day of judgment, the day of wrath, the day of anger, the day of visitation, the great day of God Almighty, and the day of Christ. And now here in verse three of 2 Thessalonians chapter two, Paul is telling the church that that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself or displaying himself that he is God. Now, we dealt with these things, the greatest portion of this, a few weeks ago. We dealt with what Paul meant by that falling away. And I shared with you that the very phrase interpreted as the falling away comes from the Greek word apostasia. Now that's where we get our word apostasy from. And in the Greek, the very direct meaning of it, the interpretation of it, the, uh, the definition of it is rebellion, abandonment, defection, a falling away or a forsaking. I shared with you that I felt that it was the exact same incident that Paul wrote to Timothy about in 1 Timothy chapter four when he tells Timothy, now the spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Beloved, I personally feel that the church is set in a time right now where we're actually seeing that happen in a number of ways as individuals look for and embrace what we shared uh, a couple of weeks ago. They are embracing and looking for a faith of convenience rather than true faith. I want to go to a church. I want to have a faith that makes me feel good all the time. I don't want to be challenged in my walk. I don't want to feel convicted of the issues of my life. I just want to feel good every time I go to church. And the more that man looks for that kind of a thing, the further they're getting away from the reality and the truth of what God's word continually declares. Are we blessed as being believers? Absolutely. Is there a great glory that awaits us as believers? Absolutely. But beloved, I don't know about you, but I still got flesh issues I deal with. And I need to be reminded of that on a continual basis. I've got lack of faith sometimes in my life that I need to be challenged to step out and believe that God is who he says he is. And uh, and again, I need to step beyond that. I need to be challenged in order that I can grow. And beloved, the body of Christ needs to continually be challenged, encouraged, yes, but also challenged and sometimes, yes, even convicted. Convicted of where we're going off path We're in a time that too many within the church 
they display fruit like a decorated but a dead tree. And I put a picture of a Christmas tree up on the board and regardless of what you feel about Christmas trees, just set that aside. But a Christmas tree all decorated, all beautiful, everything on it is dead. The tree itself is dead, everything on it is dead. It may look beautiful, but there's no life there. The real tree that bears fruit is living and it bears living fruit. And too many within the church today were walking around displaying fruit rather than truly bearing fruit. And again, the Lord Jesus says that it's by their fruits that you will know them. Not the decorations on the outside, but the reality of what's going on on the inside. The apostasy comes, that falling away comes, And it's well on the way when man seeks to be accepted and amused by the world rather than being submitted, surrendered, and obedient to Christ and to the kingdom's purposes in our lives. Man wants to be amused. Man wants to be, again, his, his ears tickled and, again, feel that, understand, that, that, that delight of things more often that he wants to pause and meditate on the truth of God's word and then be found submitted and committed to obedience to God's purposes in our lives. There's so much to say on this topic. We'll continue to touch on it today as we go through this passage. But for now, let's go back. Let's look at the scripture. Let's go a little bit deeper into what Paul is sharing with the church of yesterday and with the church of today. Second Corinthians chapter two. And like I said, I'm gonna back it up. I'll go ahead and start at verse one and we'll get into today's teaching. So second Thessalonians chapter two, beginning in verse one. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed in the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So before we go any further in that passage, we need to be certain that we understand who this man of sin or who this son of perdition really and and truly is. Uh, and, And the best way to find that out is to look at what the word of God says. The best way to interpret the word of God, gang, is through the word of God. So we gotta look back and see, okay, where else do we see this? Where else do we see this individual either spoken about or or referenced? Uh, First off, we see the clues that Paul gives us right here in this passage. Not only are they clues, they're downright identifiers of this individual, helping us, again, not not to confuse them with someone else. Paul clearly tells us here that he is the man of sin. He is the son of perdition. He also goes on to say that this individual, he opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is worshiped. He sits as God in the temple of God 
and he shows himself or displays himself that he is God. In this same passage, a few verses down, down in verse nine, he also is called, or at least he's described as the lawless one. In addition, he is, according to the working of Satan, he will come with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception. That's verses nine and 10. And man, so it's just really zeroing in that this individual, he is not a good guy, okay? He is not a good guy by any stretch of the imagination. He is totally sold out or possessed by Satan himself. And I feel that the Bible is very clear that this is the same individual that is also known as the Antichrist. Now, the Antichrist is a phrase that John uses in his letters to the churches in 1 John and 2 John. Now, he speaks that there are many Antichrists, but he also speaks of one who will be the Antichrist. It's also John who writes in the book of Revelation and describes this very same one, I believe, as the beast who is given power by Satan to do all of these signs and wonders. So where else do we see some of these very same characteristics of the evilness, of the wickedness, of the exalting himself? Now, some might look at Washington, D.C., okay? Uh, Some might look at Moscow. Some might look at Tehran. Some might might look at Beijing or Pyongyang in in North Korea. There's a multitude of places we could look. But I'm certain, again, we we could look at the possibilities of each of these in the past. Man, we've looked at uh, Nazi Germany and Hitler. Man, maybe he, he is the Antichrist. And some in the past have even looked at the Vatican. Oh, the Pope is the Antichrist. Again, a multitude of things. I, I grew up in, in a time, in a season, where they would put numbers to the letters of the name. And lo and behold, Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. And uh, I think John Kennedy was the Antichrist for a while. So all of these different ideas and thoughts that man has come about. But one thing that we know what the scripture says, he's not going to be revealed until that which is restraining him is taken away. So again, we do understand, we do know that he is a man of sin, a man or the son of perdition. We can go through the scriptures, we can find a multitude of locations that describe this one who is so against God, so against his Christ and the things of God in anything that would enlarge the kingdom of God. According to Daniel's prophecy, and again, we're not gonna go in depth on this because we will never get out of Second Thessalonians if we go into this because there's a multitude of information. But according to Daniel's prophecy, I believe that this is the one who is known as the prince yet to come. Not speaking of Messiah, but the other prince, one that also Daniel speaks about that he'll be, in essence, a man of peace. In Daniel chapter nine, verses 26 and 27, it says that this prince uh, that is to come, the people of the prince that is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And then in verse 27, he says, and then he, this prince that's yet to come, shall confirm a covenant or confirm a peace treaty with many for one week. And that's the idea, that thought of seven years. By the, the same passage though, Daniel tells us that he is also a peace breaker because he says that in the middle of that week, so three and a half days or three and a half years, 
He shall bring an end of sacrifice and offering, and on the wings of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolation. Now let's face it, you read that verse by itself, and you're kind of wondering, what in the world is he saying there? All, all of this, uh, the, the abominations and the consummations and the desolations, how does that all fit and pull together? Let me give you a great warning right now. If you haven't figured it out, do not try to attempt to understand a single word or phrase of prophecy unless you have some kind of a clear overview of all of Scripture, because you cannot pull a word of prophecy just out of the word of God and get a good understanding of it unless you have a good understanding of the rest of the word of God because it all fits, it all works together. When the Antichrist comes, Paul tells us here in 2 Thessalonians that he's going to come as God into the temple of God and he is going to show himself or declare himself or reveal himself as being God. And that's the very clear fulfillment of what Daniel is saying here about this abomination of desolation. When the Antichrist comes into that third temple, which we'll speak about in just a moment, he will come in and bring himself right into the very Holy of Holies, that place that only the high priest would go once a year, and he will declare himself Himself again as God at that point in time. It'll be an abomination. It will destroy the holiness of that place for the Jews at that point in time. And I believe that that happens halfway through that seven-year tribulation period. And at that point in time, everything breaks, everything changes, and the persecution gets worse and worse. We'll look at that a little bit more, but we don't have to guess at it very much because Jesus even speaks about this very passage of Daniel in Matthew chapter 24. If you'd like, uh, you can turn there, but it's Matthew 24, we're down in verse 15, or you can write it and look at it later. Jesus is saying, warning the people, that when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, Standing in the holy place, that holy of holies, whoever reads, let him understand. Matthew puts that as kind of a little footnote there. Then in verse 21, it says, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Has there been tribulation in the world? Absolutely. Has there been absolute devastation and and destruction in places and at times in the world? Absolutely. Has the temple been destroyed in the past? Yes, it has. But Jesus is saying this is going to happen greater than it ever was and will never happen any greater from this point. You see, we can guess all day long as to the identity of the Antichrist, but he's not going to be revealed until he who now restrains him is taken out of the way. So that's our second question. Who is it or what is it that's restraining and how and when will he be taken out of the way? 
Now, commentators through the years, man, they, they've come up with a variety of answers for that question. And yet there appears to be a very apparent problem with most all of the speculations dealing with any kind of an earthly force. One commentator writes, a fellow by the name of Thomas Constable, he writes that some say that it was the Roman Empire, that the Roman Empire in their maintaining of peace in the region, they're the ones that were keeping the Antichrist at bay. But as Constable writes, the empire has long vanished and the holder back has not yet been revealed. Another suggestion uh, through the years is that Satan is the one. But it's difficult to see why Satan would hold back the man of sin or the man of perdition. Others suggest that human governments are holding back sin and the revealing of the Antichrist. But human governments will not end prior to the Antichrist unveiling, nor do all governments restrain sin. Amen? Uh, and as a matter of fact, many encourage it. As a matter of fact, even our own nation is passing laws for it. The Holy Spirit of God, Constable writes, is the only person with sufficient supernatural powers to do that restraining. Now, it's at this point that we need to be cautious. We need to really understand what's going on here. When the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way, then that man of sin is going to be revealed. Like David Guzik's understanding of this, and I'll share this with you, David Guzik writes that at this time, the Holy Spirit, he who restrains, who restrains the full revelation will be taken out of the way. However, we should not think that the Holy Spirit would leave the earth totally during the Great Tribulation. He will be present on the earth during the Great Tribulation because many will still be saved, sealed, and serve God during that period. And this can't happen without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, though, is going to be taken out of the way in a form or a fashion, but he's not going to be removed. Now, I believe that the statements that Paul made earlier on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, gives us a really strong clue about the change that's going to take place. Remember, it was a while ago we went through 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, but Paul told the church that at the coming of the Lord, he will first of all receive the dead in Christ, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, snatched up, raptured away together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. It'll be at the time of the rapture of the church when the ministry of the Holy Spirit actually changes dramatically and abruptly in the same way that that ministry changed on that day of Pentecost when the church was born. The Holy Spirit moved and worked in a different way in the Old Testament than he did from the time of Pentecost on. Jesus even told his disciples that you have the Holy Spirit with you, but he will be in you. And on the day of Pentecost was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe that when the church is raptured out of here, taken to the Lord, that that particular work of the Holy Spirit will be completed. 
He'll still have a job to do. He will still be working and ministering on the earth, but in a totally different way, in a different manner than what he's ministering even now. And at that point in time, that's when, again, because of that change, that son of perdition will be revealed in that time. It's that time when he who now restrains the Holy Spirit and the church is taken out of the way. The world itself then will plunge literally headlong into anarchy. While our time with you today on The Open Word is almost over, you don't have to wait to hear more from the book of 2 Thessalonians. Pastor David's here to tell you how you can access our messages right now. Hey, thanks, Chris. All the messages you enjoyed here on The Open Word are available on our website. Just visit theopenword.com and click on Teachings. You can scroll through our archive and listen online, or you can download the teachings to take with you on the go. I've even provided my notes for most of the teachings so you can read right along. You might see something new your ears may have missed. Feel free to share any of my teachings if you feel it would benefit a friend or a family member. That website, one more time, is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to take a moment and ask you to consider being a partner of The Open Word. As we continue to spread the good news of the gospel through the airwaves, we want to make sure we're focused on Jesus first and our jobs second. That's where you come in. Would you commit to praying for Pastor David and those of us creating the open word? Pray also that those who are hearing about Jesus would have open hearts to receive his hope and grace. We'd also like to ask you to consider partnering with us financially. Any amount is useful and greatly appreciated. Find out more by visiting theopenword.com and clicking on support. Thank you for bringing this and us before the Lord in prayer. Join Pastor David next time to continue studying the book of 2 Thessalonians right here on The Open Word. Make us more.